Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Hello. Today, I'm so happy to introduce you to my friend, uh, Tanya Kubo. She is a marketing strategist. I practice saying that word strategist, Tanya. And I hired her last year because I needed some marketing strategy. But she's also a wife of Brian, who is a special ed teacher, I believe, in the Valley. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great guy. And then two beautiful daughters, one's redhead, so I'm a little partial to girls. As you know, she is a speaker, a writer. She is a committed believer and a social media consultant. And you might be thinking, well, why are you on? Why are you having her on? Well, because she's my friend. And I see godly things in her that I know will bless you. Her main thing is connection. Wouldn't you say, Tanya? Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm very passionate about that. And her business is a lot, it emphasizes a lot on Facebook. Now, I know not all of you who are listening today are on Facebook, but it is something that she is a specialist in and has helped me with my fun uh, Welcome Heart, Welcome Home uh, Facebook group, which you need to join. If you haven't joined yet, just go into yes. Yes, if I'm going to be here, I have to get a plug for your Facebook group too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tanya still helps me with that. So um, I want to read a quote um, and then I'm going to let you talk. Okay. Uh, People are just people and human connection never goes out of style. So whether or not uh, listening today, people listening today, if you are on Facebook or if you um, love TikTok or you just like having someone over to your house with, for coffee, um, the whole main thing is connection. Wouldn't you say that, Tanya? I would. And, I would. And, okay. And tell us, uh, I have another question for you, but I really should let you talk. So would you tell us a little bit about your family and about your business? And then I have this question. Remind me, I have a question. You know okay. me, I, I'm a rabbit trailer. So <laughs> bring me back. But Sue, I love that about you. I love your rabbit trails. Oh, thanks. So first of all, thank you for having me. This is sure. so much fun to be on your podcast because we have spent so much time talking about your podcast right. in the last year or so. Right. And so to be here and to be serving your listeners in this way is truly a treat for me. So I love that you get me, right? So it is all about connection on the business side of things. And what I would say is I believe that social media should bring people closer together rather than driving them further apart. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of us aren't seeing that right now. And I'm a little tiny bit of an activist at heart. Like you're not going to see me standing in the street corner with a big sign, but um, mainly that's because I can't negotiate poster paint to save my life. But <laughs> like, I'll leave that to my daughters when, when they're of age. But my, my activist spirit says, you know what? There's this powerful tool in the form of social media and it can be used for good and it can be used for evil. And what decides how that is is how people who participate in it choose to behave. And Mm. so I have this vision that the more I talk to people and I work with people like you, Sue, the better we can make the place because you know people I don't know. So you're going to attract people to your Facebook group who would never come to my Facebook group. And together we can actually make social media a place that doesn't make people cringe. Mm -hmm. I know it's a lofty goal and let's be honest, I can't do it by myself. That's why I work with people like you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, when I first heard about you, Tony, last year, mm-hmm. I, I actually had to almost bribe you to let me hire you because you weren't sure I was, 
you were a great fit for me. And you have been, of course, it's been wonderful, but I appreciate that about you because you have integrity and people in marketing Christians or non-Christians um, can be missing that most elemental fundamental characteristic of integrity. So you're not, Oh no, maybe you need this person. I go, no, I think I want you. And so thank you for, I didn't even have to send you cookies or anything to bribe you. So I appreciate that. Uh, what you said, social media should bring us together. And I really don't really want to talk about this the whole time, but no. people get so frustrated with it or they get mm -hmm. hurt that they just go off altogether. Mm -hmm. Can you give one tip to someone who's about ready to close up all their accounts to keep them going forward in a salt and light manner? Right. So here's what I would say. So thank you for asking that question. And then I'm actually going to come back to talk about my family like you asked me to. Okay, good. Because my family is a big reason I am so passionate about my work. So what I would tell, like, if you are listening right now and you are like, it is hate and negativity and it's a, like just a steamy cesspool of ickiness. Yes. <laughs> and I'm out. Here's what I'm going to say. What if that's your mission field? How are you going to bring light if you remove yourself from the picture? Mm -hmm. And I know that's hard. And, it, and I, I have been told that that sounds harsh and accusatory. Really? Right? I think yes. it sounds very biblical, yeah. but then I do. But read I mean, the Bible. I have been told that, right? Like, you know, people will say, well, I have to protect my, my spirit. I have to protect my heart. And I get that. Mm -hmm. But we can't change things when we exit the conversation, no matter what it is. Mm. And as long as, and I, and I would never say that there aren't days I want to quit too, because there are some, you know, I run Facebook groups and not all of them play nicely with each other. There are days that I'm like, what? my husband says, how are you? And I say, I'm questioning my life choices. <laughs> Back in 2007, I'm thinking I really should have picked a different area of expertise. <laughs> questioning my life choices. But for the most part, I realized that as long, even when people are mean to me, even when people I love are saying horrible things about what they think is this nameless, faceless population, but I actually know people and love people in that population. I see. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, I cannot believe you are the same person I spend Thanksgiving with. Hmm. Even then, and I, I want to just, well, I'll just ignore them. I'll do this. I'll do that. I go, you know what? As long as we are connected here on Facebook, I have an opportunity to further the relationship and to give them a different perspective mm -hmm. in between seeing them at Thanksgiving. Cause I don't know about your family. Well, I do know about your family. So you guys are real, are close knit. My family, it's like weddings, funerals, and the occasional holiday. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so I would just encourage you rather than focusing on the negativity, because if you're focused on it, you're going to see it. Right. Where are the bright spots of social media? Yeah. Look for the heartwarming stories. Mm -hmm. That's great. Tell us about your family. Yeah. So part of why I do what I do is because I have two very sweet little girls. Uh, one is 12. One is seven. The seven-year-old's the redhead. And Sue is not the only person taken by the redhead. <laughs> and, you know, when I was, so I initially started writing way back in the day. I worked for a newspaper and I wrote a column on weight loss. I, oh. I wrote about my weight loss journey. So nobody oh. knows that because I never talk about it. But for years, and I had, you know, I think I peaked at about 38,000 weekly readers wow. in this newspaper column about my weight loss journey. And then I, I went through a divorce. I changed careers. I changed towns, met Brian, became a mom. And I realized a couple of things. Number one, 
I, I didn't want to be the poster child for weight loss anymore. Like that was a whole lifetime ago for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to talk about that. Number two, as a brand new mom of a daughter, I wanted to be very mindful of what example I was setting for her, even at that age. I mean, she was like six months old at the time. Hmm. And so that's when I decided I was no longer going to write about weight loss. I wasn't, I used because to write of, sales. Because of like body image issues. Right, body image, okay, but yeah. also wanting to just have a different focus, right? Okay. You are more than your appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's really important to me with my girls. I want them to understand that they are a whole person mm-hmm. and they are divinely created, unique as they are. Yeah. And so I needed to exit that very comparison driven sort of industry. But then I didn't know what I was going to do after that. I was like, maybe I'll be a mommy blogger and I'll write about making my own baby food. And I landed in social media because I had already been doing online communities at the newspaper, handling like the readers and the comment section and all of that sort of stuff. But what I realized is my kids were going to grow up in this social media heavy environment. They were you know, they laugh because they'll say like, mommy, what was your first cell phone like? And I'm like, well, I was 21 when Mm -hmm. I got my first cell phone. Or they'll ask me who my favorite YouTuber was, right? And I'm like, YouTube didn't exist when I was your age, children. Mm -hmm. But I realized that this space, they were going to inherit it. And it could be amazing. Hmm. And this great window into the world where my children could grow up with friends in foreign countries because the internet makes that possible. So, yeah, so true. Or they could grow up being online bullies or victims of online bullies. Mm-hmm. And I had a skill set and an interest in making a difference in that space. So, on my worst days, I am on Facebook and on Instagram and in all those places because I am trying to make a better world for my kids to inherit 10 years oh. from now. See, now to me, that is it just what I heard in my head was this is a mission, it's almost a manifesto. And when we have a mission behind even the most tedious things that we do, like parts of, as you've heard me complain, parts of uh, podcasting is tedious, Um, but you do it anyway because of a bigger mission. And so your belief system, your belief in God, the value for your children, this is what keeps you going in a space that can be very vile on certain days. So bless you for that. Now, in getting to know you this past year, you have made reference on occasion about your upbringing. So we are switching gears here because I want to hear about it. Um, Not because of juicy details. No, the bigger mission, as I was just mentioning, was because everybody has a story to tell about how they were raised and their perspective. And then you hear, and you hear it, let's say you get to get to know a girlfriend when you're 35 or 40 or even 50 or 60, and you go, what? You were raised that way. You would have never guessed. Why? Because we have a perspective in our mind that if you were raised uh, by a single mom or in abject poverty or, uh, or abused even, I just uh, interviewed Mary DeMuth. You know, she was terribly abused at five years old. So then you expect, well, then we have a certain perspective of this is how they're going to turn out. And that's because, you know, we read stories and we watch movies and, and we know people where it has turned out. But you would never know. I would say that you would probably need healing from what you went through. And I feel like you're restored. Is that a wrong way of looking at it? I'm not sure. No, I mean, I would say I have had a lot of healing. I mean, part of that has been, I have a friend who talks about better living through pharmaceuticals, right? (laughs) Talks about how it's okay to have prescription medications to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have better living through therapy, uh, you know, for years. And, um, 
and real wise spiritual counsel. Now I didn't always have wise spiritual direction. I didn't know how to discern that for a long time, but mm-hmm. um, I have been really gifted in learning that. So, you know, part of my story is abject poverty. My mom was a single mom. She got disowned because her family wanted her to have an abortion, right? Because if she had an abortion, nobody would know what she did. Oh, so she um, wasn't married. No, my mom never married actually. Um, which had its own hardship, right? Like Mm -hmm. choosing to never marry. Um, And of course, my mom never thought about what the effect on me would be. Was she she a Christian or a churchgoer or anything like that? Uh, No, because my mom had a really hard... So I was raised Catholic. Hmm. And my mom had, I remember very distinctly having like the priest come to visit because my mom had a lot of guilt about the fact that I had not been baptized because when I was born, they wouldn't baptize me because she had not had her confirmation, um, which is like a a faith. It's a sacrament that you do when you're a little bit older. So they said she had to get confirmed in order to get me baptized. Hmm. And so I was older. She wanted me to be baptized and I was getting around the age of first communion. She wanted that to be done, but they went back to like, you know, basically you're an unwed woman. So we have to take care of your sin. You need to be confirmed. You have to go to confession for that. And, you know, anybody who's listening, who's Catholic will, as I say this, understand that my mom did not have an understanding of her own faith. Okay. So from the priest's perspective, my mom needed to go to confession. This was required in order to have the sacrament. And, you know, he wasn't telling her what she had to confess. But in her mind, she, what she heard was that she needed to confess the sin of having me. And she believed I was her greatest miracle and she refused to do that. And she just didn't have theological understanding. Um, It just, you know, she just wasn't an academic. So she kind of dug in her heels and never went further than that. And when we went to church, we were in the back row because we weren't, we weren't good enough to go sit any further. I couldn't sit with my friends in church because they had different families. You know, they came kind of from a different background. So my mom had a lot of this internal dialogue about what people like us do and people like us don't do. Mm. And, you know, my mom had her own issues. She grew up in a very abusive environment um, and she never really addressed or recovered from that. And it led to her as an adult being a hoarder. So I grew up in an unsafe environment. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until I was in college and how, I went home with how, my college how, roommate. How was it unsafe? Uh, so big chunks of my childhood and things got a lot worse, I would say, after the age of 13 when I got a little bit older. Um, but uh, no heat, uh, no hot water, right? So the why? hot why, water. Why not? You live um, in America. <laughs> well, to be honest, so my mom was a hoarder, right? So right. nobody can see how you live. Right. And my mom was a renter. She didn't own her home. And so I had a really hard time. And I went through a lot of bitterness in my teenage years because it's like, okay, the hot water heater's out. I don't particularly like cold showers. Um, We live in town. I mean, we lived in a rural community, but we lived kind of in the town part of the rural community. Like clean the house, call the landlord, have the landlord replace the water heater. And she just couldn't. Oh, and so, um, and so there was a lot of, a lot of struggle. Like, I just didn't understand. I was like, like, why, why won't you do this? And it wasn't. So then, you know, the hot water heater went out, air conditioner went out at one point. But Tanya, you can't expect a 13 year old to understand. 
No, I, I don't expect a 13 year old to no. understand, right? I came to this understanding in my early 30s. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, but I had to, like, I had to get a lot of perspective. You know, the last time I set foot in my mom's house, I was 19. And I was in, I was almost 40 when my mom died. Uh, and I hadn't been in her house like 20 years ish, mm. maybe because, 18 years. Because of the mess. Yeah, because the last time I had gone to her house, because she believed that her house was in the condition it was in because I left it a mess. And oh. so she would, you know, she'd call my aunt and she'd be like, this house is a mess because of Tanya. You know, I would do this and this, but I can't because Tanya did this. And so my aunt's calling me and saying, you know, Tanya, like your mom's like by herself. She needs help. Like, I get it. You're off in college now, but you need to go home and you need to like tie up loose ends, get rid of your stuff. But my aunt hadn't been my mom's home either. Oh. So at 19, I was like, okay, you know, I'm tired of hearing this. I'm going to go home. I'm going to clean. And then my mom can't say anything. And I went home and it took me a whole weekend to just, and so we lived in like a 500 square foot studio apartment. Oh my. And it took me three days to clean half of it because with hoarding there's stuff, but there's ickiness under the stuff because the stuff builds up over time. Because it's been there so long. Because it's been there so long. Because it wasn't uncommon. Like I would, my mom would know, hey, Tanya's coming home for Thanksgiving. I would arrive like Thursday, you know, Wednesday or whatever after school. And if I stood next to my bed, it would be chest high with trash just piled on it. And, you know, and she would say, well, I've just been really busy. I haven't been able to tidy up. And mm-hmm. so I would have to like clean off my bed in order to go to sleep. And so at 19, I said, you know, I'm going to come home. I knew she was going to be gone. And so oh. I was just going to clean the whole house. And Things were going to be great, but I only got about halfway through it. I filled up a dumpster, like got all this stuff out of there. And my mom came home and instantly, like she's excited, right? Because who doesn't want the cleaning fairy to come to their house? I mean, sure. I want the cleaning fairy at my house. Wait, wasn't she upset about the things you threw away that she I'm getting to that. Okay. Yes. Cause that's, that's the pathology Issue. of yeah. the hoarder. Right. But I didn't know that I was 19. Mm-hmm. I just thought my mom's house is a mess and she needs it cleaned. I didn't so, know my mom was a hoarder. Until oh, that, that was my question. Out. That was my question. Yeah. I, I didn't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I clean the whole house and she comes in and she's like elated, like, <gasps> and my mom loves surprises. And so she's so happy. And then you just saw that her entire countenance change. And I saw for the first time in my life, I saw the fear, the, and then there was anxiety. And then I saw the anger start to bubble up mm. and her start to turn red and just get, And, you know, and all of this is an internal battle, right? She's not said a word yet, but she's looking around and I had, I had overfilled the dumpster already. So I still had like four big black bags of trash. And I said, you know, I overfilled the dumpster, but I thought, you know, maybe what we could do is we could just take a, take a drive to the dump and we'll just go get rid of it. And she starts to go through the trash bags. Oh no. And then starts, but this is still good. Like, and and, you know, and she starts, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that's, that's my sweater from the sixth grade. And it has been eaten through by mice. I'm never going to wear that again. No, 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 but it's still good. It's still good. And then, so she starts to undo everything and I am crushed. Of course. And so then the conversation starts to become, I didn't have her permission. I should never have done that because I didn't have her permission. Mm. And what was I thinking? And, and then I'm like, I'm under attack and I'm like, all right, well, I don't, I don't have to do it again. And she was like, well, you know, you, you've gone this far. You need to finish the job. And I said, okay, well, I'm like, it's Sunday. I got to go back to school, but what I'll do is I'll come home in a month, just maintain this side. 
I'll come home in a month and I'll finish. I'll, I'll clean everything else. And when I came home in a month, it was worse than it was mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was back to like take out food containers on my bed up to my chest. The table stuff had been piled so high it started to fall on the ground and just soil and um, and it was just awful, right? Like you couldn't use the stove because the stove was completely blocked. You couldn't get to the microwave because the microwave was blocked. Uh, and so what I would say is like, at the time I didn't feel unsafe, right? I didn't know any different in growing up in my mom's home, but like, I wouldn't let my kids go to a house like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I think I'm better than that or our house is better, right? But it's because my children's safety is important to me. Mm-hmm. And you said, you started to say earlier that you brought, you wouldn't bring friends home or did you finally just, did you figure this out in high school when you would go to someone else's house? Um, no, not really. I just thought, I mean, because we did have some friends who had similar living situations. So it felt kind of normal. And, you know, my friends who had like clean houses tended to be wealthier And so my perspective was just wealthy people have nice houses and poor people People don't don't. have nice houses. Hmm. Um, I didn't have the whole like, oh, you know, there's actually poor people who have well-kept houses. Like that Hmm. just wasn't the experience I had at that stage. Mm -hmm. If someone is listening today to this story and they have a loved one who is a hoarder, do you have a piece of counsel or wisdom that you could offer them? I do. And I actually, it's not on my website, but I I wrote a three-part series um, for Kathy Lip has Clutter-Free Academy. And that's a a group I manage and I'm very actively involved in there. So I wrote it for their blog. Um, But I I have a particular article that I would love to share. And I can give you the link to that. that just has resources for people who love hoarders. Um, But the main thing Here's what I'm going to give you like all the years, 40 years of perspective on the other end. You can't fix them. Like hoarding is actually a mental illness. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that, right? I thought hoarding was a housekeeping issue. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's a mental illness. It's a form of of obsessive compulsive disorder. And it takes a lot of work. And it's not about the hoarder wanting it bad enough. You know, I thought my mom was lazy for years. Mm -hmm. I thought she was lazy. I thought she didn't care. No, my mom was deeply, deeply wounded and did not have the skill set to, he- to get healed. Hmm. She just didn't know where to go, what to do. And that is why, you know, and she died in a home where they had to remove the window to get her body out. Oh no. Because they couldn't make it through the house to bring her out the front door. Um, and so I have great compassion. I had compassion for my mom when she died. I kind of about five years before she died, I, I started to understand better. But I think my first bit of advice is have compassion and understand that this is a really big problem because it's not about the stuff. And the second thing I'm going to say is because it's not about the stuff, you can't save them. What do you mean? They can never get healed, you mean? No, I mean that you as an individual can't fix them by cleaning their house, nagging them to cleaning their house, offering to go through stuff with them. You know, I, I hear that stuff all the time. Well, I keep offering to, to, to help my sister clean her house. And she says, no, no, because that stuff is a form of protection. For sure. them. Mm-hmm. And you aren't, unless you are a clinical specialist in hoarding, you're not equipped for the trauma that can emerge as they release stuff. Mm. Like they need full emotional support through that process. Do you know of anybody who's actually recovered through, uh, 
therapy. Yeah, there's a there's actually a hoarding institute out of UC San Diego. Hmm. Um, on average, their clients take three years. Wow. To reach any form of recovery, it's a very slow process. Um, and what I would say is, most people who like I'm around were not in the full blown hoarding stage when they sought help. They were more like. I have a strong clutter issue and I recognize I have hoarding tendencies. Oh dear. I feel like you're talking about me now. Let's not talk about this anymore. Okay. Tanya, no, I'm kidding. Um, do you get triggers when you go into certain people's homes that set you off? Yeah. Is that personal? Yeah. Is that too personal to ask? I was like, I've, I've never thought about it, but yes, I, um, so it's funny is, and this is something Brian and I talk about a lot is because I grew up in a hoarding environment, right? Like my, my litmus test for a clean house versus a dirty house is a lot different than most people's. Okay. So you know, have you gone the other direction then you think? Well, no, like I'll walk into your house and you could have, I do struggle with like animal smells, right? But like mm -hmm. your whole house can like have like cats everywhere. And I will like move the cat, put the cat on my lap and still sit on your couch. Won't phase me one bit. Mm-hmm. But maggots in the sink is totally a trigger for me. Oh dear. Well, I think it's a trigger for anybody. <laughs> but I mean, I've been in those houses, right? Where the, yeah. the dishes are so piled up that there's like flies. And I, you know, I remember my mom going, you know, if you want to go do that thing this weekend, you've got to wash the dishes and taking all the dirty dishes out of the sink. And they're just being a layer of maggots in the sink and having to deal with that. Mm. So bugs, I would say that's actually the trigger. It's bugs, roaches, bugs. maggots, ants. All of that. So you don't want to move to the South because they have no, <laughs> dino I, dinosaur bikes. I'm the lady who pays her pest control guy really, really well. Oh, <laughs> I'm just like, all I care about, like no bikes. <laughs> I always tell them, I was like, I just don't want them in the house. I understand they have to live in nature. They, yes. they have an important role to play for our ecosystem. Yes. Just keep them out of my house, house. Patrick. And mm -hmm. Patrick takes good care of me. Mm, that's wonderful. Uh, when did you come to know the Lord? Oh, that's a good question, Sue. I, I wrote a book on questions. So yeah. You did. You, <laughs> you know, so um, there was a long time where I said 17, because 17 is when I decided if my mom wasn't going to figure out how to get me baptized in the Catholic church, I was going to figure out how to do it. And I marched wow. myself over to the Catholic church, went to the church office, sat there, waited for the nun to help me and was like, this is what I want to do. I need to know what it takes. Wow. And um you know, and she helped me uh, go through their adult conversion program because she was like, obviously, you, you know what you want, you know what you're talking about. So I used to say that. And there was definitely, I mean, the thing is, is when I look back, I mean, the Lord has kept me safe in so many ways. Like he was present in my life as far back as I can remember, because there are so many things I can look back on and go, that could have went a totally different direction. Mm -hmm. And there is no logical reason. There is no scientific reason it was different uh, mm. like the only answer is god mm. but going to 17 you know i was at the height of my bitterness and just angry with my mom angry at the circumstances we had um you know i didn't mention this but my mother has never revealed my father's identity mm. um and she died with that secret and so angry about that the people would ask me questions about my father and i didn't even have that information so angry 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 and it was through that process of working with this particular nun that I realized, you know, in working through the Bible, realized there were a lot of people who had a lot of bad stuff happen to them in the Bible. 
Right. And they didn't choose bitterness. Mm-hmm. And she didn't like lecture me. All she said is, and I, I remember this distinctly, and she, she wasn't from the US, so she had this really thick accent. And I just remember her saying, what if bitterness is a choice? And if bitterness is a choice, what if happiness is a choice? Hmm. And that was like a light bulb. I mean, that was mind blowing. It, it hmm. never occurred to me that at 17, I had a choice. Like I couldn't control where I lived, the choices my mom made or anything like that, but I could control what I thought, what I said and how I behaved. Wow. And so for a long time, I would tell you that that's when I came to know the Lord. But the truth is now my true, like, I would say salvation moment was in making the decision um, to leave my first marriage. Oh, wow. Because I had, you know, I was so wrapped up in God hates divorce and Malachi, book of Malachi. I don't think most people spend that much time in the book of Malachi, but I was all about the book of Malachi and using that as a reason to hold on to a marriage that really was not doing either of us any service. And God tried really hard, really hard to steer me away from that. And I was super stubborn, but there was a moment, um, I got really, really sick, super sick. And so I was in a hospital heading toward emergency surgery. And I just had that conversation with the surgeon where he said, I am going to do my ever loving best. I don't know that you're going to make it. Wow. And so he, he said, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you some time, um, to just prepare, you know, we're going to put you to sleep. You may not wake up. And if you do wake up, you may not be the same. Hmm. And so in that, and they didn't like, they hadn't had me in the OR. So I'm in the hallway, which is so dignified. Let me tell you. So awful. So I'm laying in the hallway and I like, I didn't pray the traditional scripted salvation prayer, but I prayed the most ardent salvation prayer of my heart Hmm. where I was just convicted convicted with my own forceful need to control everything Hmm. and how I had tried to design this perfect life and it all blew up because it was missing a big component, otherwise known as God. And so in that moment, I just remember saying, God, like, I do not expect to survive this. I do not deserve to survive this, but I need you to know that I know I have not been living according to your plan for me. Wow. And if I wake up from this and I'm somewhat in one piece, I promise that I will make different choices moving on. And I will live the rest of my life with the sole purpose of carrying out your plan for me. And when I woke up hours later, right? Remember the first thing I did was go, holy cow, I woke up. The second thing was to look down and realize that I was basically split in half. And then I started to cry because I was like, oh, good God, I have to make good on the promise now. Yeah. What do I do? (laughs) And I was a little bit terrified, right? Of course. We can all make big promises when we think we're going to die. But then when you turn out that you survive and you have to pay the piper, so to speak, Mm -hmm. it's different. Hmm. But for me, um, that, that was the point. And I found myself you know, a faith community. And I, it was a slow process there at the beginning. It really was. I had to struggle a lot with my issues of worth and sort of my textbook checklist of what good Christians were and bad Christians were. 
But yeah, so that's how I would say I came to know the Lord. Um, as you know, my podcast is about what legacy are we leaving? There are so many things that we could touch on, but as you've thought through those questions, uh, what legacy do you want, especially for your darling girls, to remember about their mom? And how are you currently working on making that happen, maybe besides social media? Yeah, well, so what is important to me, and I'm so grateful because it's important to Brian too, is we want our daughters to know that there is no, oh my gosh, like there is no apocalyptic, my husband's a big Marvel fan, right? There is no end game in life until you die. And what we mean by that is one bad choice does not ruin your life. Mm. I mean, we know that there are some situations where it can, but we raise our girls to know that, you know what? We all make mistakes. Making a mistake is not the worst thing in the world. And you can make some big mistakes. We're still going to love you. Because I remember, and my husband was, was married before too, feeling like once we realized that we had made the mistake and once we realized that we were actually at fault, like this never should have happened. The other person, right, right. likely would have appreciated us preventing us from getting this far, but we steamrolled this situation and then feeling like we couldn't admit that mistake. And so mm. we stayed in a bad situation. We made ourselves miserable, but we made the other person really miserable too, because we weren't, we were so worried about people finding out that we made our mistake. And so we want our girls to feel free to make mistakes, to know that they are loved. And my big thing with my girls is like, you are beautifully, wonderfully, and uniquely made. So you know that, you know, I live in a neurodiverse house, so everybody's brains wired differently around here. And mom is the one who manages all the connections. Um, you know, I tell like Lily, it's like, you know, God made you this way. This isn't, oh, poor you. This is, huh. If God made me like this, then God has a mission for me that this, that the way that my brain works is going to help me fulfill. So now it's a matter of figuring it out mm. and everything is a puzzle we can solve. Everything, everything. Hmm. We can't solve it alone. So no, that goes back to the community focus. But what, ch what changes did you have to make or obstacles to overcome to be able to teach this legacy? Or I know it's an ongoing teaching. Yeah. I mean, well, the big thing is I had to forgive myself. Mm. And I know a lot of times when, um, women I know who talk about divorce, they talk a lot about having to forgive the other person. I never had as much animosity for them as I did for myself. Hmm. Why is that you think? Because of just being brought up the way you were, not having self-worth? Because I should have known better. Because oh. God was working in my life. Mm. He was. Mm -hmm. I just was ignoring it. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for the other person's experience yeah. right because if God's working with them like how am I going to know that yeah. um but for me so you know I had to forgive myself I had to realize that uh, you know obviously God's not done with me yet because I'm still mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. so uh that's been the biggest challenge and then in parenting it's important to me that my kids don't think that I'm up on this tall pedestal mm. And I know like we all as parents it's so sweet when they think you hung the moon and you can kiss all the boo-boos and make all the things go away mm -hmm. But it's been really important to me to make sure that they know that I know I'm human and yeah. we're all doing the best we can. 
kind of reminds me of the, the time after Christmas, we opened presents when I was a child and I thought, oh, it's not really that magical. And I knew I was growing up and it was kind of sad. Mm -hmm. So I think kids can, when they finally realize that their parents are not the end all and that they have, that they make mistakes, they go through kind of a death of a vision, you know, it's like, oh, so sad. But the fact is you're teaching your children to be practical and to rely on God even though you want them to rely on you and Brian because you're good parents, you want them to have that security, but there's still this thing where, you know what, even they will let me down and that's okay. Cause we need to be reminded that only God is the only one who will not let us down. Wow. Well, and I wonder, Sue, and I know I'm not supposed to interview you, but I wonder if you have the same experience. I guess, I wonder if this is an older parent sort of thing. Cause I was a little bit older when I had my kids, you were a little bit older when you had yours. Mm-hmm. I don't automatically assume I'm still going to be alive when they're 18. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, I can't have them thinking that I am always going to be here to teach them right from wrong and all these things. I need them to have confidence in their own internal compass. Mm -hmm. And I need them to know that regardless of when I exit the earth, God's always going to be here. Right. Right. So probably the most important thing we can teach our children. Yeah. Wow. This has been a powerful interview. And I bet that my listeners would like to raise their hands and that you'd be in a live audience and that you could just answer everything. But you're always welcome to contact Tanya. Is that right? Can they yes. contact you? And they, they can reach you in your Facebook group, which is called what? Your oh, it's group? got the longest name ever. It's the I Secret know. to Thriving Online Communities. Yeah. But I can give you a little short link. But the other thing is I'm on all the social media channels. That's true. So they can find That's me true. anywhere. Yeah. I'll give you all those links. Yes. And I'll put it in our show notes so you mm -hmm. can reach out to Tanya. And what a blessing this has been. Uh, and encouragement, I think, because no matter where we've been, there's always a new day. God's mercies are new every morning. And you are a delight. And I'm glad we're friends. I'm glad we're friends. Did you get all your questions answered? Can you I, want me to remind you uh, you had a question? Oh, yeah. That was my question. Thank you for that. What was the, because we start off by talking about how you are a connector. What was the most exciting or satisfying connection you helped make in your business? Ooh, okay. Well, I'm going to say. Besides most, me. Uh, obviously. <laughs> right. Um, well, actually the most exciting connections, and, and I'll, I will make this a little bit more broad, but it has been being able to utilize social media to connect really good people with really good opportunities. Mm. So for example, you know, um, for example, so I have like a former intern of mine. She, she was like the first black woman to work at Twitter. Oh, right out of college. Um, and I have been able to, to connect some people with her and she's gone on to mentor them and, and done really great things, but she's, you know, phenomenal. But that sort of stuff or having, you know, because I'm kind of connected to, to some fun people is great speakers for virtual events. Um, people who you wouldn't typically think that you could actually get booked. Mm -hmm. um, but because your event's online, you don't have to worry about travel expenses. And so you can actually Affordable. find yourself somebody really compelling. Mm -hmm. So those have been some of my most exciting connections. Wonderful. That's so great. Well, I think you have a life where you wake up in the morning and say, I'm so glad I'm still alive. And what can I do today to help somebody connect with someone else, with you and with the Lord Jesus? So thank you so much, Tani. It's been a delight. Well, thank you. 
Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.